Happy middle of the new month of the new year. In the interest of starting the year off with a bang, auditorily speaking, here's some often requested vonnegut and only the barest minimum of my own preferatory babble. Instead, I'll just wish you a year full of happiness in the form of non-fictionalised memoirs and great writing that maybe even makes a little money for the writers. Good evening. It's Sunday, the 11th of January, 2009, and it's Miet's Bedtime Story Podcast. The Hyannis Port Story by Kurt Vonnegut The farthest away from home I ever sold a storm window was in Hyannis Port, Massachusetts, practically in the front yard of President Kennedy's summer home. My field of operation is usually within about 25 miles of my home, which is in North Crawford, New Hampshire. The Hyannis Port thing happened because somebody misunderstood something I said and thought... I was an ardent Goldwater Republican. Actually, I hadn't made up my mind one way or the other about Goldwater. What happened was this. The program chairman of the North Crawford Lions Club was a Goldwater man, and he had this college boy named Robert Taft Rumford come talk to a meeting one day about the Democratic mess in Washington and Hyannis Port. The boy was national president of some kind of student organisation that was trying to get the country back to what he called first principles. One of the first principles, I remember, was getting rid of the income tax. You should have heard the applause. I got a funny feeling that the boy didn't care much more about politics than I did. He had circles under his eyes, and he looked as though he'd just as soon be somewhere else. He would say strong things, but they came out sounding like music on a kazoo. The only time he got really interesting was when he told about being in sailboat races and golf and tennis matches with different Kennedys and their friends. He said that there was a lot of propaganda around about what a fine golfer Bobby Kennedy was, whereas Bobby actually couldn't golf for sour apples. He said Pierre Salinger was one of the worst golfers in the world and didn't care for sailing or tennis at all. Robert Taft Rumford's parents were there to hear him. They had come all the way from Hyannis Port. They were both very proud of him, or at least the father was. The father had on white flannel trousers and white shoes, even though there was snow on the ground, and a double-breasted blue coat with brass buttons. The boy introduced him as Commodore William Rumford, The Commodore was a short man with very shaggy eyebrows and pale blue eyes. He looked like a gruff, friendly teddy bear, 
and so did his son. I found out later from a secret service man that the Kennedys sometimes called the Rumfords the Pooh people on account of they were so much like the bear in the children's book Winnie the Pooh. The Commodore's wife wasn't a Pooh person, though. She was thin and quick, and maybe two inches taller than the Commodore. Bears have a way of looking as though they're pretty much satisfied with everything. The Commodore's lady didn't have that look. I could tell she was jumpy about a lot of things. After the boy was through pouring fire and brimstone on the Kennedys, with his father applauding everything he said, Hey Boyden, the building mover, stood up. He was a Kennedy Democrat, and he said some terrible things to the boy. The only one I remember is the first thing he said. Son, if you keep blowing off steam like this during your Boy Scout days, you aren't going to have an ounce of pressure left when you're old enough to vote. It got worse from there on. The boy didn't get mad. He just got embarrassed and answered back with some more kazoo music. It was the Commodore who really cared. He turned the colour of tomato juice. He stood up and he argued back. Did it pretty well, even though his wife was pulling at the bottom of his brass-buttoned coat the whole time. She was trying to get him to stop raising such an uproar, but the Commodore loved the uproar. The meeting broke up with practically everybody embarrassed, and I went over to Hay Boyden to talk to him about something that didn't have anything to do with Kennedy or Goldwater. It was about a bathtub enclosure I sold him. He had insisted on installing it himself, saving himself about seven dollars and a half. Only it leaked, and his dining room ceiling fell down, and Hay claimed... That was the fault of the merchandise, and not the installation. He had some poison left in his system from his argument with the boy, so he used it up on me. I answered him back with the truth and walked away from him, and Commodore Rumford grabbed my hand and shook it. He thought I'd been defending his boy and Barry Goldwater. "'What business you in?' he asked me. "'I told him, and the next thing I knew "'I had an order for storm windows all around "'on a four-storey house in Hyannis Port. "'The Commodore called that big old house a cottage. "'You're a Commodore in the Navy?' I asked him. "'No,' he said. My father, however, was Secretary of the Navy under William Howard Taft. That's my full name, Commodore William Howard Taft Rumford. You're in the Coast Guard, I said. You mean the Kennedy Private Fleet, he said. Pardon me, 
I said. That's what they ought to call the Coast Guard these days, he said. Its sole mission seems to be to protect Kennedys while they water ski behind high-powered stink pots. You're not in the Coast Guard, I said. I couldn't imagine what was left. I was Commodore of the Hyannisport Yacht Club in 1946, he said. He didn't smile, and neither did I, and neither did his wife, whose name was Clarice. But Clarice did give a little sigh that sounded like the whistle on a freight train far, far away on a wet morning. I didn't know what the trouble was at the time, but Clarice was sighing because the Commodore hadn't held any job of any description since 1946. Since then, he'd made a full-time career of raging about whoever was President of the United States, including Eisenhower. Especially Eisenhower. So, I went down to Hyannis Port in my truck to measure the Commodore's windows late in June... His driveway was on Irving Avenue. So was the Kennedys' driveway. And President Kennedy and I hit Cape Cod on the very same day. Traffic to Hyannis Port was backed up through three villages. There were license plates from every state in the Republic. The line was moving about four miles an hour. I was passed by several groups of 50-mile hikers. My radiator came to a boil four times. I was feeling pretty sorry for myself, because I was just an ordinary citizen and had to get stuck in lines like that. But then... I recognised the man in the limousine up ahead of me. It was Adlai Stevenson. He wasn't moving any faster than I was, and his radiator was boiling too. One place there, we got stuck so long that Mr Stevenson and I got out and walked around a little. I took the opportunity to ask him how the United Nations were getting along. He told me they were getting along as about as well as could be expected. That wasn't anything I didn't already know. When I finally got to Hyannis Port, I found out Irving Avenue was blocked off by police and secret service men. Adlai Stevenson got to go down it, but I didn't. The police made me get back into line with the tourists who were being shunted down a street one block over from Irving Avenue. The next thing I knew, I was in Hyannis, going past the Presidential Motor Inn, the First Family Waffle Shop, the PT-109 Cocktail Lounge, and a miniature golf course called the New Frontier. 
I went into the waffle shop and I called up the room forwards to find out how an ordinary storm window salesman was supposed to get down Irving Avenue without dying in a hail of lead. It was the butler I talked to. He took down my license number and found out how tall I was and what colour my eyes were and all. He said he would tell the Secret Service and they would let me in by next time. It was late in the afternoon, and I'd missed lunch, so I decided to have a waffle. All the different kinds of waffles were named after Kennedys and their friends and relatives. A waffle with strawberries and cream was a Jackie. A waffle with a scoop of ice cream was a Caroline. They even had a waffle named Arthur Schlesinger Jr. I had a thing called a Teddy... I had a thing called a teddy and a cup of joe. I got through next time. Went right down Irving Avenue, behind the Defence Minister of Pakistan. Except for us, that street was as quiet as a stretch of the Sahara Desert. There wasn't anything to see at all on the President's side, except for a new peeled cedar fence about eight feet high and two hundred feet long with a gate in it. The room for wood cottage faced the gate from across the street. It was the biggest house and one of the oldest in the village. It was stucco. It had towers and balconies and a veranda that ran around all four sides. On a second-floor balcony was a huge portrait of Barry Goldwater. It had bicycle reflectors in the pupils of its eyes. Those eyes stared right through the Kennedy Gate. There were floodlights all around it, so I could tell it was lit up at night. And the floodlights were rigged with blinkers. A man who sells storm windows can never be really sure about which class he belongs to, especially if he installs the windows too. So I was prepared to keep out from underfoot and go about my business measuring the windows. But the Commodore welcomed me like a guest of great importance. He invited me to cocktails and dinner and to spend the night. He said I could start measuring the next day. So... We had martinis out on the veranda. Only we didn't sit on the most pleasant side, which looked out on the yacht club dock in the harbour. We sat on the side that looked out on all the poor tourists being shunted off towards Hyannis. The Commodore liked to talk about all those fools out there. Look at them, he said. They wanted glamour, and now they realise they're not going to get it. They actually expected to be invited to play touch football with Eunice and Frank Sinatra and the Secretary of Health and Welfare. Glamour is what they voted for, and look at them now. They don't even get to look at a Kennedy chimney up above the trees. All the glamour they'll get out of this administration is an overpriced waffle named Caroline. A helicopter 
helicopter went over, very low, and it landed somewhere inside the Kennedy fence. Clarice said she wondered who it was. Pope John the Sixth said the Commodore. The butler, whose name was John, came out with a big bowl. I thought it was peanuts or popcorn, but it turned out to be Goldwater buttons. The Commodore had John take the bowl out to the street and offer buttons to the people in cars. A lot of people took them. Those people were disappointed. They were sore. Some 50-mile hikers who'd actually hiked 67 miles all the way from Boston asked if they could please lie down on the room-forward lawn for a while. They were burned up too. They thought it was the duty of the President, or at least the Attorney General, to thank them for walking so far. The Commodore said they could not only lie down, but he would give them lemonade if they would put on gold water buttons. They were glad to. Commodore, I said, where's that nice boy of yours, the one who talked to us up in New Hampshire? The one who talked to you is the only one I've got, he said. He certainly poured it on, I said. Chip off the old block, he said. Clarice gave that far-away freight-whistle sigh of hers again. "'The boy went swimming just before you got here,' said the Commodore. "'He should be back at any time unless he's been decapitated by a member of the Irish Mafia on water skis.' We went around to the water side of the veranda to see if we could catch sight of young Robert Taft Rumford out swimming.' There was a Coast Guard cutter out there, shooing tourists and motorboats away from the Kennedy Beach. There was a sightseeing boat crammed with people gawking in our direction. The barker on the boat had a very loud loudspeaker, and we could practically hear everything he said. The white boat there is the Honey Fitz, the President's personal yacht, said the barker. Next to it is the Marlin, which belongs to the President's father, Joseph C. Kennedy, former ambassador to the court of St. James. The President's stinkpot and the President's father's stinkpot, said the Commodore. He called all motorboats stinkpots. This is a harbour that should be devoted exclusively to sail. There was a chart of the harbour on the veranda wall. I studied it and found a Roomford Point, a Roomford Rock, and a Roomford Shoal. The Commodore told me his family had been in Hyannis Port since 1884. There doesn't seem to be anything named after the Kennedys, I said. Why should there be, he said. They only got here day before yesterday. Day before yesterday? I said. And he asked me, What would you call 1921? No, sir, the barker said to one of his passengers. That is not the President's house. Everybody asks that. That great big ugly stucco house, folks, that's the room for cottage. 
I agree with you. It's too big to be called a cottage, but you know how rich people are. Demoralized and bankrupt by confiscatory taxation, said the Commodore. You know, he said, it isn't as though Kennedy was the first president we ever had in Hyannis Port. Taft, Harding, Coolidge and Hoover were all guests of my father in this very house. Kennedy is simply the first person who's ever seen fit to turn the place into an eastern enclave of Disneyland. No, ma'am, said the Barker. I don't know where the Roomfords got their money, but they don't have to work at all, I know that. They just sit on that porch there and drink martinis. And let the old Mazuma roll in. The Commodore blew up. He said he was going to sue the owners of the sightseeing boat for a blue million. His wife tried to calm him down, but he made me come into his study with him while he called up his lawyers. You're a witness, he said. But his telephone rang before he could call his lawyers. The person who was calling him was a secret service agent named Raymond Boyle. I found out later that Boyle was known around the Kennedy household as the Roomford Specialist, or the Ambassador to Roomfordiana. Whenever anything came up that had to do with the Roomfords, Boyle had to handle it. The Commodore told me to go upstairs and listen in on the extension in the hall, "'This will give you an idea of how arrogant civil servants have become these days,' he said. "'So I went upstairs. "'The Secret Service is one of the least secret services I've ever come in contact with,' "'the Commodore was saying when I picked up the phone. "'I've seen drum and bugle calls that were less obtrusive.' Did I ever tell you about the time Calvin Coolidge, who was also a president, as it happened, went fishing for scoop with my father and me off the end of the Yacht Club dock? Uh, Yes, sir, you have. Many times, said Boyle. It's a good story, and I want to hear it again sometime. But right now I'm calling about your son. The Commodore went right ahead with the story anyway. "'President Coolidge,' he said, "'insisted on baiting his own hook, "'and the combined Atlantic and Pacific fleets "'were not anchored offshore, "'and the sky was not black with airplanes, "'and brigades of Secret Service agents "'were not trampling the neighbours' flower beds to puree.' "'Sir,' said Boyle patiently, "'your son Robert was apprehended "'in the act of boarding the President's father's boat, "'the Marlin,' Back in the day of Coolidge, there were no stink pots like that in this village, dribbling petroleum products, belching fumes, killing the fish, turning the beaches a gummy black. Commodore Roomford, sir, said Boyle, did you hear what I just said about your son? Of course, said the Commodore. You said Robert, a member of the Hyannisport Yacht Club, was caught touching a vessel... "'belonging to another member of the club. "'This may seem a very terrible crime to a landlubber like yourself, "'but it has long been a custom of the sea, Mr. Boyle, "'that a swimmer, momentarily fatigued, "'may, upon coming to a vessel not his own, "'grasp that vessel and rest 
without fear of being fired upon by the Coast Guard, or of having his fingers smashed by members of the Secret Service, or, as I prefer to call them, the Kennedy Palace Dragoons. "'There has been no shooting and no smashing, sir,' said Boyle. "'There has also been no evidence of swimmer's fatigue. "'Your Robert went up the anchor line of the Marlin like a chimpanzee. "'He swarmed up that rope, Commodore. "'I believe that's the proper nautical term. "'And I remind you, as I tried to remind him, "'that person's moving uninvited.' "'unannounced with such speed and purposefulness "'within the vicinity of a president are, "'as a matter of time-honoured policy, "'to be turned back at all costs. "'To be turned back, if need be, violently.' "'Was it a Kennedy who gave the order "'that the border be repelled?' "'The Commodore wanted to know.' "'There was no Kennedy on board, sir.' "'That stinkpot was unoccupied.' "'Adlai Stevenson and Walter Ruther were, and one of my men were on board, sir,' said Boyle. "'They were all below until they heard Robert's feet hit the deck.' "'Stevenson and Ruther,' said the Commodore. "'That's the last time I let my son go swimming without a dagger in his teeth.' "'I hope he was opening the seacocks when beaten insensible by truncheons.' "'Very funny, sir,' said Boyle, his voice developing a slight cutting edge. "'You're sure it was my Robert?' said the Commodore. "'Who else but your Robert wears a gold-water button on his swimming trunks?' asked Boyle. "'You object to his political views?' the Commodore demanded. "'I mention the button as a means of identification. "'Your son's politics do not interest the Secret Service. "'For your information, I have spent seven years protecting the life of a Republican "'and three protecting the life of a Democrat,' said Boyle. "'For your information, Mr. Boyle,' said the Commodore, Dwight David Eisenhower was not a Republican. Whatever he was, I protected him, said Boyle. He may have been a Zoroastrian for all I know, and whatever the next president is going to be, I'll protect him too. I also protect the lives of persons like your son from the consequences of excessive informality where the presidential presence is concerned. Now Boyle's voice really started to cut. It sounded like a bandsaw working on galvanised tin. I tell you, officially and absolutely unsmilingly now, your son is to cease and desist from using Kennedy boats as love nests. That got through to the Commodore. Bothered him. Love nests, he said. "'Your Robert has been meeting a girl on boats all over the harbour,' said Boyle. "'He arranged to meet her today on the Marlin. "'He was sure it would be vacant. "'Adlai Stevenson and Walter Ruther were a shock.' "'The Commodore was quiet for a few seconds, and then he said, "'Mr. Boyle, I resent your implications. "'If I 
ever hear of your implying such a thing about my son to anyone else, you had better put your pistol and shoulder holster in your wife's name, because I'll sue you for everything you've got. My Robert has never gone with a girl he wasn't proud to introduce to his mother and me, and he never will. You're going to meet this one any minute now, said Boyle. Robert is on his way home with her. The Commodore wasn't tough at all now. He was uneasy and humbled when he said, Would you mind telling me her name? Kennedy, sir, said Boyle. Sheila Kennedy, fresh over from Ireland, a fourth cousin of the President of the United States. Robert Taft Roomford came in with the girl right after that, and announced they were engaged to be married. Supper that night in the Roomford cottage was sad and beautiful and happy and strange. There was Robert and his girl and me and the Commodore and his lady. That girl was so intelligent, so warm, and so beautiful that she broke my heart every time I looked at her. That was why supper was so peculiar. The girl was so desirable, and the love between her and Robert was so sweet and clean that nobody could think of anything but silly little things to say. We mainly ate in silence. The Commodore brought up the subject of politics just once. He said to Robert, Well, um, will you still be making speeches around the country, or, uh... I think I'll get out of politics entirely for a while, said Robert. The Commodore said something that none of us could understand, because the words sort of choked him. Sir, said Robert. I said, said the Commodore, I would think you would. I looked at the Commodore's lady, at Clarisse. All the lines had gone out of her face. She looked young and beautiful too. She was completely relaxed for the first time in God knows how many years. One of the things I said that supper was, was sad. The sad part was how empty and quiet it left the Commodore. The two lovers went for a moonlight sail. The Commodore and his lady and I had brandy on the veranda on the water side. The sun was down. The tourist traffic had petered out. The fifty-mile hikers who had asked to rest on the lawn that afternoon were still all there, sound asleep except for one boy who played a guitar. He played it slowly. Sometimes it seemed like a minute between the time he would pluck a string and the time he would pluck one again. John, the butler, came out and asked the Commodore if it was time to turn on Senator Goldwater's floodlights yet. "'I think we'll just leave him off tonight, John,' said the Commodore. "'Yes, sir,' 
said John. I'm still for him, John, said the Commodore. Don't anybody misunderstand me. I just think we ought to give him a rest tonight. Yes, sir, said John, and he left. It was dark on the veranda, so I couldn't see the Commodore's face very well. The darkness and the brandy and the slow guitar let him start telling the truth about himself without feeling much pain. Let's give the senator from Arizona a rest, he said. Everybody knows who he is. And the question is, who am I? A lovable man, said Clarice in the dark. With Goldwater's floodlights off, and with my son engaged to marry a Kennedy, what am I but the man on the sightseeing boat said I was, a man who sits on this porch, drinking martinis and letting the old Mazuma roll in. You're an intelligent, charming, well-educated man, and you're still quite young, said Clarice. I've got to find some kind of work. "'he said. "'We'll both be so much happier,' she said. "'I would love you no matter what. "'But I can tell you now, darling, "'it's awfully hard for a woman to admire a man "'who actually doesn't do anything.' "'We were dazzled by the headlights of two cars "'coming out of the Kennedy's driveway.' The cars stopped right in front of the Roomford cottage. Whoever was in them seemed to be giving the place a good looking over. The Commodore went to that side of the veranda to find out what was going on, and I heard the voice of the President of the United States coming from the car in front. Commodore Roomford, said the President, "'May I ask what is wrong with your Goldwater sign?' "'Nothing, Mr. President,' said the Commodore respectfully. "'Then why isn't it on?' asked the President. "'I just didn't feel like turning it on tonight, sir,' said the Commodore. "'I have Mr. Khrushchev's son-in-law with me,' said the President. "'He would very much enjoy seeing it.' "'Yes, sir,' said the Commodore. "'He was right by the switch. "'He turned it on. "'The whole neighbourhood was bathed in flashing light. "'Thank you,' said the President. "'And leave it on, would you please?' "'Sir?' said the Commodore. "'The cars started to pull away slowly. "'That way,' said the President.' I can find my way home.'